I want to talk with you about a very timely subject, worry and anxieties. Anybody had any kind of anxieties lately or, or worry? That means most of us, doesn't it? Uh, and uh, I don't know of anybody that's exempt from that. And right now, the whole world is a bit anxious. Would you agree with that? And uh, many are struggling with worry. And the problem with worry is that, the, that, that it has power to control our mind and it affects our behavior and it, it, it manipulates our emotions, but it accomplishes nothing. Um, it's been reported that the average person's worry uh, focuses 40% on things that will never happen and 30% on things of the past that can't be changed, 12% on criticisms received from other people, and most of those are untrue, 10% of our worry is about health, ironically, which gets worse the more we worry, and only 8% of what we worry about are real problems that will be faced. Now, there are things that should concern us. And the opposite of worry is not becoming careless or just carefree. But the devil's a master at stirring us over things that we do not have control over. Would you agree with that? And so he can create this kind of stress and anxiety as we think about, worry about, stress over things that we just frankly can't do anything about. A bassoon player came up to his conductor, the legendary Arturo Toscanini, And he nervously said to Tuscanini, he said, Sir, I cannot reach a high E flat. To which Tuscanini just smiled and replied, Don't worry about it. There's no E flat in your music tonight anyway. You know, many of our worries and anxieties are like that, right? We're worrying about things that we're just not going to have to deal with. And if we're going to be a victorious Christian... We cannot allow worry to control our hearts and our minds. We have to trust Christ one day at a time. In fact, Jesus even talks about that in Matthew 6. He says, now look, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap. They don't gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then he says, aren't you of more value than they? And then he adds, which of you by being worried or stressed or anxious can add a single hour to his lifespan? So he says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is the troubles of the day. You see, Jesus taught us that the the solution to worry is trust. In fact, the opposite of worry is faith. We put our trust in him. And really, you can only trust Christ today, can't you? I mean, you, can't, you can trust him for your tomorrows, and in one sense we should, but you can't trust him in tomorrow because you're not in tomorrow. You're in today, and that's why Jesus said, trust me today. This one day at a time thing really is important if you're going to have victory over wor- worry. And so that's what I want us to look at this morning, how to have victory over worry as we continue this series. If you're physically able to do so, why don't you stand with me this morning? Just a few verses out of John chapter 14. Beginning in verse 1, Jesus says to his disciples, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you? Uh, And so I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a, a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. Now, Lord, would you comfort our hearts with the truth of your word? Would you challenge us? Would you convict us? Would you change the way we think and the way we behave? Would you cause us to receive what you have said in your word? And would you, God, cause it uh, to make a difference in how we walk out of this place today? I pray for all of those who are watching us by live stream, listening to us by radio, whatever the means that they've tuned in, and as well as those in this live audience, speak to us, Lord, and cause us to hear what you have for us today. It's no accident that we're here, and so, Father, we expect 
you to speak into our hearts your words, holy words, God, that will change us. And now may the words of my mouth, Father, reflect your words. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord God, my rock, my redeemer, and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, uh, this chapter 14 is a part of what we call uh, several chapters that represent Jesus' final discourse with his disciples. He knows what's coming. They don't fully understand what's coming, but Jesus does. Jesus knows what's coming, and what's coming is his departure. He's going to be crucified. He'll be buried. He'll be raised from the dead, but then he will ascend to the Father. They don't fully understand what's going on. Jesus does, and so he's doing something on the front side in this final discourse. He's doing something to help them prepare themselves for what's ahead. And the final discourse goes on, really, chapter 14, 15, 16, and even chapter 17, what we call the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And these are final instructions, you might say, that Jesus is giving. It's like he's called together his disciples and he says, we need to have a little uh, symposium here just to prepare you for uh, the things that are coming. Because he knew not only what was coming to him, he knew what they were going to face as well. And isn't it interesting then how he starts uh, off this passage, let not your hearts be troubled. One commentator has said this, literally what Jesus is saying, stop worrying. Don't worry. I've got this. Stop worrying. Let not your hearts be uh, troubled. And, and the word trouble there actually in the Greek denotes emotional distress, stress, worry. That internal feeling, you know, you get when something seems to overwhelm you or you don't know how something's going to work out and you just become consumed with worry. That's what Jesus says to them. Look, don't worry. I got this. And I want to show you three things this morning that he, I believe, communicates to them that work for us some 2,000 years later. The first thing to overcome worry is we need to believe in Christ's pedigree. Pedigree. Now, some of you think pedigree is dog food. But let me tell you what Webster defines the word pedigree as. It is a distinguished ancestry. So Jesus has a distinct... Wouldn't you say he has a little bit of a distinguished ancestry? It's why he starts off by saying this in verse 1. Believe in God, believe also in me. We might say it this way. I know you believe in God. If you believe in God, trust me also. That's what Jesus is saying uh, to them. And he wants them to understand how important that is as they face the struggles, the stresses, and the worries of life. Uh, because of who he is, that's what he's saying. He's saying, don't worry, because of, but he starts there. He says, listen, don't let your hearts be thrown into Don't worry. Why? Because of who I am, because of my ancestry, because of my pedigree, uh, because of the significance of who I am. He says, don't worry, don't let, because you're on my side. That's what he's really saying, and I'm on your side. Did you know God is for you? He really is for you. You say, yeah, but I've messed up so much. Of course you have. He's for you. He's so for you that he left heaven and came into this world. We'll talk about that because it is a, it is a way to help us overcome worry. But what he's saying to them is he said, I know you believe in God. Believe in me. Trust in me so that your hearts will not be consumed by worry. And he teaches us two things about this distinguished ancestry of his. The first thing he teaches them is his kind of designation, this divine designation that he and the Father are the same person. He says, if you believe in God, believe also in me. Why is that? Because uh, we are the same person. It's not like you're believing in God and then you're believing. He, if you believe in God, he says, believe in me. We are the same uh, person. Jesus is God. He's God. That's what he's saying. I'm God. And so he says, don't worry. I'm bigger than you. <clears throat> Let not your heart worry. Why? Because I'm God. Trust me with this. That's what he's saying. Uh, and he wants them to, but the question is not, most of us would agree Jesus is God. My question to all of us today is, but is he your Lord? Is he your master? Not just your savior, is he the master and Lord of your life? And see what he's trying to help them understand is, look, look, I'm more 
than just this great teacher. I'm more than some great philosopher. I'm more than a a rabbi. I am God. That's what he was saying to them. And that's what we have to understand about this heritage, this ancestry. Uh, And that helps us when we face worry because we say, wait a minute. I'm with Christ. Christ is with me. Christ is God. God is bigger than my worries. In fact, in John 10, if you went back just a couple of chapters, Jesus said this, I and the Father are one. See, he had already been teaching them this. He's already been teaching them this. But now he uses that in the context of of departing from them and their hearts worrying and being filled with anxiety and stress. By the way, you could go back even further in this book to the very first verse of the first chapter that says, in the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. You see, it's so important that you and I understand that Jesus and God are the same. So when you face worry, you can trust Christ who is bigger. I'm bigger than your worries. That's the message he wants them. And so uh, Jesus wants them to see his, his, this divine designation. But it leads to something else, and that is an awareness of the divine incarnation of Jesus. Do you know what we mean when we say the incarnation of Jesus? I, I spoke of it just a moment ago. It means that Jesus left heaven, the royal throne of God, uh, and he came into the, he took on flesh. That's incarnation. In, in, carne uh, in the Greek uh, or, or Latin is uh, flesh. In the Greek, it's sarks and it's flesh. And so when Jesus becomes incarnate, it means he took on flesh. He was God. He said that, I'm God. But, and, and, and there's this uh, divine uh, kind of uh, association, you might say, but it is also a divine incarnation. He took on flesh. Have you ever had uh, chili con carne? You know what chili con carne is? It's chili with meat. So when Jesus stepped out of heaven, he became incarnate. He took on flesh. And, and so he wants us to understand that. Not only is Jesus um, God, Jesus uh, looks like God. You see, his divine incarnation. He said in John 14, verse 9, look down, verse 9. Jesus said to him, well, look at verse 8. Philip said to him, this is still part of the same conversation. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. If you'll just reveal the Father to us, if you'll show the Father to us, it's enough for us. By the way, it ought to be enough for all of us when Jesus says, you believe in God, believe in me. That really should be enough. That should kind of settle the thing, and we should say, oh, I believe in God, therefore I trust Christ. When I'm worried, when I'm stressed, I just put my trust in him. But most of the time, we need uh, uh, something additional. That's why Jesus took on flesh, by the way, is so he could show us with our own eyes who uh, God is and what God looks like. And so Jesus says to Philip here, Philip said, Lord, show us a father, and that'll be enough. You just show us father, and we're good to go. And Jesus, look what he says. Continuing in verse 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. All right? Uh, I and the Father are one. Now he says, okay, uh, that's uh, the divine designation. Here is the divine incarnation. He says, uh, he that has seen me has seen the Father. So Jesus says this, you want to know what God looks like? Look at me. That's why we have this record, too, of the Gospels. We get a picture of God operating in the flesh. God knows that our frames frames are very weak. And so he left heaven. He came into this world. He took on flesh so we could see the living, breathing expression of God before our very eyes. And so, so he says right here, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So that is enough Paul writes in Philippians 2, and he says the same thing. He says that Christ thought it not robbery, being equal with God, to leave his throne and come and take on flesh, descend to us, uh, and be born in the likeness of man. What was he saying? He's saying Christ could have said, I'm not leaving here, I'm God. But Paul said what he, he did is say, nope. Somebody's got to go down so they can understand who God is and they can understand the love of God, the compassion of God. And they can see the character of God displayed 
Because we're so limited. We need that. We needed to see that. So Jesus said, that's, and he left the throne. He didn't think it was robbery. He didn't, the picture is that Jesus didn't try to hang on to the throne and say, I'm not going unless you drag me away. No, he willingly submitted. He condescended. Think about this. This is the God creator, Jesus, and he condescends and comes into our world. Why? Because he loves us so much, and he wants us to understand this. It's the whole basis for his, our salvation, him coming into the world. You say, okay, I get all that, Pastor. How in the world does this help me overcome worry? All right, I'm glad you asked that. Here's how it helps you overcome worry. Because when you recognize who Jesus is, that he is God, he is God that came into this world for you, then it helps you to trust him with the worrisome matters of life. So you look at God and say, God is so much bigger and God loves me. God is for me. And when I remember, when next time worry comes at your doorstep, to your doorstep, you just remember who God is. You remember how big he is. That's what he's trying to tell them and us by extension. He said, look, don't let your heart worry. Don't be thrown into confusion. You believe in God. You got me too. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. I got you. I care about you. He's for you. Okay? All right? So that's uh, Christ's uh, pedigree, and we believe in that. The second thing, if you want to overcome worry, is you need to believe in Christ's plan. Christ has a plan. Where do we see that? Verse 2, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, uh, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. All right. Believe in his plan. I go to prepare a place for you. God has this divine plan, and you're a part of that divine plan. A lot of times we get ourselves in trouble. Now, how do we get ourselves in trouble with the plan or the purposes of God? You know what it is? We think we already know what God's divine plan is. And so what we'll do is we'll try to shoehorn God into the plan that we've already decided is God's plan instead of actually knowing the plan. What Jesus was saying to them is, I got a plan. He begins by saying, don't, don't worry. Don't worry. You believe in God. Trust me. And then he says, and here's why you can... Tr by the way, again, that should have been enough, right? I mean, it should be enough for Jesus just to say to us, trust me. Have you ever used that one with kids? If you're a parent, have you ever used that? Just trust me. Boy, I, I, when I was young, I thought I will never use that with my kids. I will never use that with my kids until I got kids and, and, and grandkids. And grandkids are wonderful because they trust you about anything, you know. But, but when our daughter came along, I remember finally the day I began using that phrase, you're going to have to trust me on this one. And I thought, I thought I'd never say that. But what is it? It is because I've got mileage. I know things that she didn't know. And so I knew I could say, you've got to trust me because I don't know how to explain to you the plans and how the plans are working, but I do need you just to trust me that I'm bigger than what you think. Does that make sense? If you're a parent, it sure does. And if you're not and you become one, you'll get it. Well, that's what Jesus is really saying. So you got to trust me because I'm bigger. Let not your heart be thrown into chaos. I'm bigger than your worries. And number two, just trust in me, and you don't have to worry. I got this. And isn't it fun, I mean, if you've been a parent or grandparent, to see the kids just, there is a long time in their life where they do. They just trust you. Okay, why? My dad said so. You know, my pop says so. I mean, that's, well, that's what God says. You're going to have to trust me. And then you trust me because you know he's got a plan. God's got a plan. And what we can't do, though, is make the mistake of trying to shoehorn our plan into God's uh, plan and say, God, this is your plan because I like this plan. Um, at a news conference the morning after the beginning of the 2003 attacks uh, on Iraq, Secretary of uh, Defense Donald Rumsfeld held a press conference to answer questions, and one reporter asked him this question. Listen, the reporter said, uh, Mr. Rumsfeld, I'd like to know about the apparent failure to follow the war plan. Now, this is a reporter. I'd like to know your response to the apparent failure of the war plan, right? 
Donald Rumsfeld, who was a man who had a pretty good wit, he just kind of looked out there, and his response to the reporter was, I don't believe you have the war plan. Meaning, how could you know if it failed when you don't even have the plan? Well, sometimes we do that with God, don't we? God, the plan seems to be failing. Why? Because I think it's failing. In reality, God would say to us, you don't have the plan. You've only got a little part of the plan, but you don't see the big picture plan, okay? You know, I was talking with Lee and Chase this week. You know, we were meeting about their new role and everything. We were talking about plans and directions and future and all that. And I said, you know the irony of, of the, the plans and purposes of God, the will of God in our life? And I've told you this before, but it's worth understanding and remembering that we rarely see the purpose and plan of God in the future for our lives, right? We may have some idea what God's up to, but we rarely look down the road and say, I know what the, if we did, it would pro, it'd do one of two things. It, it might scare us to death. Or it might cause a no problem. What we generally do is we understand the plan of God when we look back. Right? So we're down here. And this event or this time or this season in our life just doesn't seem to be that great. You know, or it's filled with issues that we deal with. Then we get here and maybe things are, are, are different or better or great. And then we're over here and, and, and the bottom line, one day we're here and we're going, wow. And when we look back, we start going, oh yeah, look what God was up to. He was doing things. He was working uh, his plans all along and I just didn't know it. Now, guess what will happen? You're here, but you don't know what is up here. But when you finally get to this place, you'll look back again and say, oh, yeah, and then there was this, and then there was this. And that's for those who are obeying God and following Him. They are trusting Him. And so they don't have to live in worry or anxiety when they're back here because they say, I don't know what this is about, but I trust God. I trust that he knows what he is doing. That's what he was saying to them. He said, let, let not your heart be troubled. Trust God. Trust me because I'm going to prepare a place for you. What is he saying? I'm working a plan. I got a plan. I'm working that plan. And trusting in God's plan lifts the burden of worry from our hearts and our minds. Jesus is telling us simply, put your confidence in me and in what I'm doing. Trust me. So how does Christ's plan help you overcome worry? Well, it helps when you know that Jesus is in control and Jesus is not reacting. You see that word where he says, I go, that statement is important because that statement means I'm in control, I'm going. And remember, Jesus said when they, they came to take him, he said, no man takes my life, I lay it down willingly. I'm, making the, I'm calling the shots here. And so he says to them, trust me, because I'm going. Why? Because there's a plan. Believe in the plan. Trust me. I'm going to the Father. Uh, he's in control. There's been a lot of basketball on lately. I love this time of year. I don't love this particular year, but I love this time of year and March Madness and all of that kind of stuff and watching that. And you know, if you've watched any of the games, and it doesn't matter whether it's basketball or football or whatever it may be, but you'll notice from time to time when things aren't going a certain way, a coach will call a timeout. Timeout, timeout. You'll hear announcers saying, I think he needs to get a timeout here. What, what is that about? It's about some adjustments that need to be made. Timeout, there need to be some adjustments made. The team will come over, they'll huddle. I've been in some of those many years ago, none of your business. And I, I, where the coach is saying, okay, here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to set the offense this way. We're going to run these plays on offense, or we're going to set the defense uh, this way, or here's what we've only got so much time. We're going to do this and this and this. It's a strategic adjustment. Why? Because the game is not working out the way the coach had hoped it would work out. So he calls a timeout. He, he makes an adjustment. Let me tell you something this morning. God never has to call a strategic timeout. God never has to call a timeout and say, whoa, come over here. Now, God may say, you, you need to get your, you know, your bottom in, in, in uh, direction to where we're going, but here's where we're going. You can either go 
or not. But God never has to call a timeout and say, come on, come on. He may discipline you to get you moving in the right, but he doesn't call a timeout. Why? Because he's working a plan. He is not reacting to the plan. And see, again, back to the idea of calling a timeout, making an adjustment, that is a coach reacting to what's going on on the floor. Jesus never has to call a timeout because he's not reacting. Why? Because he is in control. You don't have to worry that Jesus is going to have to try to make up the plan as he goes. Scrap that plan. i got to come up with a new one. just doesn't happen. Jesus, so you don't have to worry about the plan. Jesus is in control. A second, Jesus is working and he's not relaxing. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. That means he's busy. He is working. Jesus never takes off. He doesn't need to take a break. He's always working. And that's what he said. I'm going to do, continue the work of the Father. He had been doing the work of the Father in this world. Now he's going back into the kingdom where he will be exalted as God again, retake the the throne where he was, but he's going to continue to work to prepare a place for you. Now listen to me. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Just because you can't see what God is doing in the plan does not mean God is not working the plan. Did you get that? Because sometimes you can't. You can't see the plan. You can't see what is the plan. What's he doing? You, you Remember, you see it from looking back, but you can't see it here. It may seem like a jumbled mess, but it isn't with God. So just remember, because you can't see what he's doing, the plan he's working doesn't mean he's not working the plan. And then third, Jesus' plan is personal. Did you notice? I go to prepare a place for who, class? For you, it's personal. He tells the disciples, I'm going, to, I'm going for my people, those who belong to me. And by the way, if you're watching live stream in this live audience, if you don't know Christ, this is just one of many motivations given to us for why you ought to trust Christ as your Savior. He says, because this is all for you. It's a personal. God's plan involves you. Uh, whether it makes complete sense in the moment or not, Don't worry. Don't be anxious. God's plans never fail. That's why Peter would write in in 1 Peter chapter 5 and say, casting all of your worry, all of your anxiety, cast it all on him. Why? It says because he cares for you. So this is a personal thing. He cares about you. Jesus has a plan. That plan involves you. Stop worrying when you don't understand it. Stop stressing out when you can't make all the pieces together. Just because you can't make them fit together doesn't mean that God can't make them fit together. And it doesn't mean that God's not working on your behalf. Then third, to overcome worry, we need to believe in Christ's promise. We need to believe in Christ's promise. Look at verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, uh, you may also be. Believe in Christ's promise. Uh, it's a promise to hold on to. That's a promise right there. He tells them, now, now follow, the, follow this, okay? Why, there, initially, he begins by saying, don't stress out. Don't be emotionally distressed. Don't worry. Right? Why? Because you believe in God, believe also, remember who I am, my pedigree. And then he he says, and I'm going to prepare. And then remember that I'm working my plan. And that plan is personal. It relates to you. But third, he says to them, and then believe in my promise to you. And this is the promise, verse 3, that if I go away, you don't have to panic. You don't have to live under, I'm coming back for you. I'm going to come take me so that where I am, there you may be also. Our church is, um, this has been an interesting weekend. There was a memorial service yesterday for uh, Pastor John Reese, who for many years pastored in this area, was much beloved and much respected. And uh, uh, I talked with his daughter earlier in the week. She's a medical doctor here. She's a sweetheart, loves God. And uh, and I said, I'm so sorry about John's passing again. He was a, a godly man who served this community for so many years. And she said, well, it's tough. It's my dad, you know, Brother Ray. But she said, you know, Brother Ray, this is what she said. And I loved it. She said, this is what he's been looking forward to. This is what he's been waiting on. This is what he spent all of his life anticipating. 
And she said, so, as much a struggle it is to say goodbye to my daddy, she said, I know my daddy has just experienced what he'd longed for. And that is today, this afternoon at 2, I'll do a service for another pastor, Van Gotay, who's a member of this church who passed away this weekend. And I'll be doing his memorial service here today. The culmination, listen, is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And there's a promise that Jesus said, I'm going to come back for you. We'll either go to him or he'll come get us. Right? And that's a good thing. This is a promise he gives them. And what I love about this promise is that when worry tries to take hold of us or take our minds and hearts captive, then we must start looking at the promises of God. And Jesus doesn't just tell the disciples that he's going away. He gives them a promise to hold on to. Now, again, as I said, it should be enough for us to say, well, just trust God, right? But Jesus knows how we are. And so Jesus cares so much what he does is, is let me just tell you something. He says, I'm going to, the, there's a plan in motion. This is not, I'm not flying by the seat of my pants. And then here's what I want you to know. I'm going to give you a promise. Where I'm going, I want you, you can't go right now, he says, but not forever. He said, I've come back and I'm going to take you so you and I can be reunited. It is a promise. Why did they need that promise? Well, maybe not so much in the moment, but because Jesus not only knew what was coming for him, that he'd be taken away from them, Jesus knew what was coming for them. And Jesus knew it was going to be hard. And I want to tell you something. Uh, The promises of God, they act like anchors for our soul when times are tough. There's something to hold on to. And so Jesus gave them this because he couldn't tell them, oh, just wait, all but one of you are going to die a martyr's death. All of you are going to, this is, but you're going to do one of the greatest things ever done in the history of humanity. You're going to start my church and you're going to bring people into the kingdom and all of that. He could have told them, but you'll run for your life. You'll be in hiding many times and people will persecute and torture you and that sort of stuff. He didn't tell them that. He just said to them, listen, let me give you a promise that where I am one day, you will be also hold on to that. So how do the promises of God help you overcome worry? Well, let me give you five things. Just jot these down real quick. Here's how they help you. Number one, they provide hope for you. You know what worry does? Worry robs us of hope, doesn't it? It steals our joy. It sucks the life out of us. It causes us to be discouraged and depressed and to think that there's there's nothing to look forward to. That's what worry does, right? But hope in the promises of God gives us something to look forward to. That's what Jesus did right there. He said, but look, look, where I am, there you may be also. So if I go away, I will return because there's still something good. When you start worrying, listen, start thinking beyond the moment. Put your hope in the words of Christ. What has Christ said? That's how you hang on. The early church that was persecuted, they called the return of Christ the blessed hope. You know why? Because they knew that when he returned, he would take them out of this broken world they were living in and all that was involved in this broken world. That's still true. That's a promise. See, we can hang on to this, what he gives them. A promise provides hope. Secondly, a promise reminds us that God has spoken. I love that thought. So I was working on this. I I just started thinking about how the promises of God have helped me. And one of the ways that that I I listed was that, you know, it reminds me that God has spoken. That God has told us something. And if God has told us something, it's certain. A promise reminds us that what God has said can be trusted. uh, That it's fixed forever. In fact, the psalmist said, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Now, I'm not talking about promises you make to yourself. You've probably made some promises to yourself. Here's what I'm not going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. Maybe you've made promises to others. Maybe you fulfilled them. Maybe you haven't. This isn't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when God gives you a promise. That means he has spoken. And God doesn't misspeak. Isn't that a new phrase that's being used today? Oh, I misspoke. God doesn't misspeak. When he gives you a promise, that promise is solid. It is firmly fixed forever, the psalmist said. And sometimes 
what will get you through stress, anxiety, and worry is saying, wait a minute, I have a promise from God. Now, how do you get a promise from God? You've got to stay in His Word. Otherwise, you'll just make the promises up. Well, here's the thing. I'm going to, I'm going to, listen, don't try to make up the promises of God, but to get the promises of God, you've got to be in this book. And I want to tell you something. If you'll be consistent in this book, God will speak to you, especially in those seasons when you need a word from Him. It'll jump right off the pages to Him. But a promise, what does a promise do? Well, a promise reminds you that God has said something. It's not what my friend said may be good, not what uh, 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 I've heard uh, from others. It is what God has said. Third, a promise will focus your mind on God instead of on worry. You see, promises shift our minds to the spiritual realities of God. It puts our, puts our mind on heavenly things. That's why Paul tells us, set your minds on things above. Why? Because if you don't, your mind will be controlled and captivated by the things in this world that are broken and worrisome, right? And so, what does a promise do? It puts our minds on things above. It puts our minds on God. Number four, promises calm our emotions. Worry creates chaos in our hearts and minds. Some of you have battled before with anxiety attacks. Those anxiety attacks are real. They're real things. But the promises of God can help calm us down when the anxiety hits us and when the stresses uh, hit us. They can calm our emotions. Remember, I told you this word in the Greek uh, for trouble in verse 1 means emotional distress. And what he says, so Jesus is saying, let not your heart be emotionally stressed, worried, anxious. And then he gives us the three steps that we've talked about. Promises, hold on to them. They calm our most. Start telling yourself, what are the promises of God? Not what are my promises, what are the promises of God? And then last, they give us strength to persevere. Promises keep us from giving up. They keep us from shutting down. I don't know if you've ever taken, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but I don't know if you've ever taken time as you've come in this building through the, the doors in the back, if you've ever taken notice of the scripture above the, uh, the doors. Have you ever seen that scripture? Have you ever paid attention to that? That scripture has purpose. It's put up there on purpose because it is a promise that God gave to me. That the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former and there will be peace in this place. Now, we've seen a lot of that. I really believe that, but I don't think we've yet seen the ultimate fulfillment of that. But I want to tell you something. Here, let me just give you a personal example. That verse means so much. God gave it to me several years ago. Gave it to me long before COVID came. But when COVID came and I was preaching to an empty auditorium, there were nobody in here, and I, there was a camera lights on and the seats were all empty, and I was preaching to cameras, and I would get so discouraged, to be honest with you. And I, I told you, I think, a couple of weeks about that. And I'd go and I would pray and I would talk to the Lord. And one day, I'm walking in this place, and I see that verse up there, and I said, Oh, God, I'd forgotten the promise. I forgot the promise that the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. We've had a good house. And I'm just not talking about before COVID. I'm talking about long before that, all that God has done in this place. It's been magnificent. But God gave me that promise several years ago, and I told him, I said, God, I'd forgotten the promise. And I took hold of that promise again. The latter glory shall be greater than the former. And in my house, there will be peace. That's what a promise does for you. You know what it does? It helps you persevere. It helps you persevere. And that's why we hang on to them. We remember them. On July 30th, 2020, um, NASA launched a, a, what we'd call a Martian rover. It was a rover designed to cruise around on uh, Mars and collect dirt samples and check for ancient uh, life that may have existed, and then even potentially send those samples back to us here at Earth. They sent it out in July 2020. It landed on Mars in February, February 18, 2021, and it began doing its thing. It had cameras, you know. Maybe you saw some of the, the, the videos that it, it sent back to us and everything, but it's on this quest. It's on this mission, and uh, that's 2021. Now, now years ago, we sent... Uh, uh, landers and crafts that landed on Mars that could just were stationary and they could look around and rotate and see pictures. But this one could actually move across the Martian soil and, and that sort of stuff and, and collect samples and this kind of thing. Well, 
Um, when they, you would think now, I mean, this is a long time since the previous one that the technology has improved incredibly. But do you know for the brains of that lunar rover, well, it's not a lunar rover, it's a Martian rover. Uh, do you, you know, the brains of that that makes it is a computer and a computer processing chip. So you would think, I mean, the chip, the processors have improved so much since the last time we sent one out that they would use new equipment, right? But they didn't. They used actually a, a chip that was for the brain of this Martian rover that was developed in 1997 by IBM and Microsoft. 1997. They went back and that's the, the brains of this thing. That chip from 1997, it landed in 2021. It took it about a year, but we're using 1997 technology to control this. Why did they do that? Because... They had far more powerful chips, but they weren't reliable. That chip was tried and tested. It had proven itself faithful and reliable, and so they knew that they could count on it, that the failure rate was far less than even the more powerful ones, and it would get the job done. And so what they did is they said, let's use technology that is tried and tested so that the rover on the Martian soil will endure. And so guess what they named it? The perseverance. It'll have a long time task on the planet Mars. Well, let me tell you, the promises of God do that very thing for us. They are like these microprocessor chips, the promises of God are, that give us reliable reason and ability to persevere to keep going. And when you're struggling, that's essential. When you're worried, you need the promise of God to help you persevere, to not throw in the towel. So I ask you as I close this morning, are you struggling with worry today? Jesus has a prescription for his disciples. Did you get it? He said, believe in his pedigree, that he's God. Believe in his plan. His plans involve you for good. And then believe in his promises because they'll keep you persevering. They'll keep you from giving up. We had a man here a couple of years ago. Well, we've had him here a couple of times, Robert J. Morgan. He's a prolific author, and we've had him here at Awesome August, and uh, we'll probably have him back someday. But in his book, Worry Less and Live More, a book that we picked up, my wife and I picked up, and we, we read it. It's a fantastic book. Uh, he says this. He says that many in our society are very conscious of anxiety and worry. And then he gives this illustration. Uh, if you have like a Kindle or a Kindle app or Kindle uh, uh, reader, e-reader, um, and I use those, I hard books, e-readers, all of, of the above. And if you know, if you highlight something in, in a Kindle, then you have a note section and it, it stores that note so you can go back and pull out whatever you highlighted. And so Amazon, a few years back, they, um, they reported on the most um, the most highlighted passages in some books like the Harry Potter series, um, uh, the Hunger Games, and the classic Pride and Prejudice. So they pulled those out. But then they, they said, what scripture is most highlighted in the Bible? They went a step further. What is the most highlighted scripture in the Bible? It may surprise you, because what would you think it would be, class? The most highlighted verse? Anybody have an idea? John 3.16, right? That's what I would uh, have assumed, and that's what Robert Morgan assumed it would be, John 3, 16, or Psalm 23, right? Or Matthew 6, where he gives us the Lord's Prayer. You would assume those would be ones that are pretty common and everything, but it wasn't. None of those were the most highlighted passage. The most highlighted passage, according to Amazon, searches and highlights on uh, their readers was Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do you know what Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says? Listen to this. Do not be anxious about anything, 
But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and listen, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's a passage on worry. The most highlighted passage, they said, that was it right there. You think people are worried today? You think people are anxious today? Our world is a worrisome, anxious place and will be until Jesus returns. Are you worried? But do you want the peace that he speaks about right there, the peace that passes understanding? Did you notice a couple of things about that, that it is a result of prayer? And it will guard both your heart and your mind. Where does worry consume you? In your soul, that's the inner man when he says heart, the inner man right here. You ever get that kind of turmoil feeling in here or up here? He says, what is it? Be anxious about nothing in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. What are you saying? I, I trust God with this. God is bigger than my worry. And I trust him with that. And I will hold to his promise. I will seek him in prayer. And guess what he says? And the supernatural of peace of God will guard your hearts. and your The seed of worry is right here. It's the soul, the inner man, the mind. That's the seed of worry. And he says, here's the solution for you. But it's only available to Christians. When Paul wrote that in Philippians, he's writing to these Philippian Christians. It's only available to Christians. In this audience, by live stream, or however you're viewing or listening to this, whether it's on radio or whatever, I want to tell you this morning that supernatural peace is available to you as opposed to living your life in worry, but it comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you know Christ, you can know his peace. If you don't know Christ, you won't have peace. And by the way, this isn't an event, peace. You know, when Peter said, casting all your anxiety on him, let me just tell you this. That doesn't mean, okay, you cast your anxiety on him. Okay, it's done. That problem is resolved. No, because 30 minutes later, you may be back worrying in turmoil. What do you do? It is the present tense. It means you just keep on. You just keep on casting your anxiety. You cast it on him. You keep on casting it on him. You say, good, okay, I've handled that. You've done that before. And you say, that burden's lifted. And then 10 minutes later, you go, it's back. I'm worrying again. I'm stressed again. What do you do? It is present tense. You cast it back on him. What you develop is a spiritual habit. When it comes on me, what I do? I cast it on him. And if it comes on me uh, every 15 minutes, I keep casting it on him. I'm giving that to you. I'm not going to let that control me. Lord, I give that to you. You are for me. You're bigger than my worries. I trust you with it. You have a plan that you're working. I may not understand it, but I trust you. Here, take it. And you just keep this process. You train yourself. And Paul talked about that. We don't have time to, but Paul talked about that, training ourselves. And so I keep giving it to him. I keep giving it to him. But I have to know him to give it to him. And if you don't know him, you can today. Live stream, live audience, doesn't matter. You call on him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise that you can hold on to. And by the way, it's a promise that will take you into eternity. If you've never trusted him, you can do so today. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? No one's looking about in this place. If you've never trusted him, you're not certain that if you died, you'd go to heaven, but you're ready to make certain of that. You can call on him. Just like I said, you can establish that relationship. You can say something sincerely from your heart like this, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I want you to be my savior. I invite you to come into my life. Forgive me and give me eternal life. I can tell you, if you called on him like that, he heard that because he's already promised to hear it. You may be here or watching by live stream today, and you may say, you know what, I, I have trusted Christ as my Savior, but I haven't been trusting him when I start worrying. And I just today, I want to tell him, you just do it right where you are today. You just tell him, watching where I don't, you just say, Lord, Thank you for saving me. 
but I want to give all my worries back to you. And I keep giving them to you, Lord, and I'm going to keep giving them, and I'm going to keep giving them to you because you care for me. Thank you for taking the burden and continuing to take the burden and to carry that burden. Help me to continue to give it to you. Now, Lord Jesus, you've heard these prayers that have been offered up to you, and I pray, uh, Father, that uh, each of them offered, Father, will uh, produce a new walk and new relationship. Father, thank you that you don't just tell us just quit worrying, but you tell us how to quit worrying and how to have victory there. So, Father, help us to walk in the victory that is ours because of who you are. You're bigger than our worry. Father, you're working a plan that involves us. And Lord, you have promises that we can hold on to. Let us grasp and hold them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me for our invitation? I'll be here at the front. Our staff will be on the sides. And I want to invite you to slip out from where you're seated in the balcony, ground floor. I want you to come this way and say, this is a decision I've made. Pastor, I I prayed that prayer to receive Christ as my Savior. I called on Him. Or, Pastor, listen, some of you are looking for a church home. You need a church home. You do. We'd love to have you as a part of the Ridgecrest family. Come and and, uh, and say, Pastor, we'd like to join here. You can also use that tear-off panel. It gives you instructions on the back of it. It'll tell you what you can do. If you're live streaming us, you can just text the word um, uh, Pastor, P-A-S-T-O-R. I, and we know what that means. It means I, I prayed that prayer to trust Christ. We'll take it from there. Maybe, maybe you just want to join. You text that word, join, to the number that you'll see on your screen. You just text that um, to us, whatever the decision may be. Some of you might want to just come and pray. Remember that passage we ended up with? Be anxious about nothing, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You're praying for people. There's a decision you've got to make. There's something you just want to talk to the Lord about. Listen, victory comes when we bow our knee and seek him. And so this is open. Come and use it. Come make your decision, whatever that is, to confess Christ, to join Ridgecrest. We're here to receive you. You come on right now.